Hey everybody, it is me, it's your old buddy Steve Simonson coming back again with another awesomers.com episode and you may have just heard my chair crack, uh, I've been cracking out episodes this past week because there's a lot happening. This happens to be episode number 168 of the Awesomers podcast series and today we're talking about the Amazon seller counterfeit war. So uh, recently, DHS released a memo talking about uh, the state of counterfeits and the, the responsibility that online marketplaces will have in the enforcement uh, and of counterfeits and so forth. And we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about this problem in general. Uh, and so I'm going to dive into it from kind of the top level and then work my way down to the, the granular details. So first of all, when you start thinking about uh, – the details of this, they are, there's a plethora of details. So I want you to go to awesomers.com slash 168 for some additional documentation, links to the DHS report, and some of the breakdown that I think is important, or at least some highlights I think are important for Amazon sellers to pay attention to. Now, this is, this is dry stuff. Uh, <laughs> there's no other way to, to call it, right? Uh, Anytime the government issues a memo, there's very few people who are like clamoring to go read it. Uh, it's, it's terrible to read this stuff. However, all of that said, it's important that we understand the posture of the United States government. And by the way, this is going to be a similar posture other Western governments, uh, everything from Australia, UK, Canada, uh, even Mexico, Germany, Japan probably. They will take similar postures, I expect, in the coming uh, months or uh, near years. The point is, this is a problem that needs to be solved. Counterfeit materials being sold online is reaching new highs, and I'm going to talk about some of those stats here in a minute. So first of all, if you sell on Amazon and you've had any degree of success, somebody's probably hijacked your listing. Now, there are some legitimate hijacking case studies that I want to talk about and others that are not so legitimate. So first of all, sellers hate it when anybody's on their listing for any reason. But there are some examples. Uh, I'm not gonna dive into retail arbitrage. If you sell a DeWalt um, screwdriver or a Makita drill, and you happen to be selling against you know, other sellers of that same legitimate product, not counterfeit product, you all fight over the buy box, that's life, that's the way it is on a big brand. But my focus is on people who are creating their own brands because that creates equity and it gives you the potential to exit with a, a nice equity and, and build some wealth. That's my kind of forte and that's what I believe in uh, for people. And I think you can do that using e-commerce. I think you can do a D to C play that's direct to consumer. Uh, and that helps you establish yourself as a brand, a, a micro brand, an emerging brand, however you want to think of it. You're just as important as the big brands like Cartier or Louis Vuitton or any of those big brands that are, get more headlines and of course are copied more. Because you're copied just about 100% of the time if you're successful on Amazon. And they don't even copy it like they copy a Louis Vuitton purse. They just put up something they think looks similar. It's the laziest form of counterfeit ever. They're selling you know, inauthentic, absolutely bogus products under your listing and pretending it's real. And the online platforms, including Amazon, eBay, Walmart, whoever, they're kind of going along with it. At least that's how it feels to sellers often. So here's a couple things as a brand owner I don't want you to get your yourself twisted about. One is if you sold the product to a customer 
uh, and then they decide to jump on your Amazon listing and sell that product for any reason, they're allowed to do that under the first sale doctrine. You can find the link uh, about the details of the first sale doctrine over at awesomers.com slash 168. This is a, a, essentially the right for anybody to buy something and resell it. And that's a fine premise. I think it's, it's good for everybody. What it means is if you do a bunch of giveaways on less reputable platforms and then those giveaways come back to haunt you on your own listing, uh, there's nothing you can do about that. Now, yes, it's against Amazon terms of service for people to buy products on Amazon using Prime and then resell them, but that hasn't stopped people from doing it. And the unintended consequences that happen as a result of that are just life. And that's one of my axioms, beware of unintended consequences. That's just the types of things that happen. So if somebody bought it from you, whether it was a, a free giveaway or a highly discounted purchase or even just a regular price purchase, they can resell uh, against you, uh, I suppose, on your own listing. That's life. That's first sale doctrine. But assuming that's not the case, uh, then it's easy for you to uh, put the kibosh, or not easy, but it's necessary for you to try to put the kibosh on uh, people who are doing black hat counterfeit listings. So uh, the other uh, legitimate case is like if Amazon Warehouse uh, is selling your product, maybe they reimburse you for the product, the return, a lost item, whatever it was, they reimburse you, and now they found the item and they want to sell it. That's also legitimate. But these volume-wise, unless you're doing nutty giveaways uh, using unreputable platforms, they should be very few and far between. It's not going to interrupt a decent volume listing. And if it really bothers you, just buy the product and, and take it out of the equation. So there are ways to deal with it. The things we're mostly concerned about are people who are pretending to sell legitimate products on your branded listing and are not doing it. In fact, most of them don't even waste the time putting your fake logo on it or putting your fake stickers. We had a case where uh, we were selling product and uh, Amazon itself was, uh, put that in quotes, the Amazon vendor, a client, was sending in fake products on our brand. And it was a heck of a time trying to convince Amazon that that's not our stuff. We had to make the purchases, we had to do all these things and jump through so many hoops. And the people at Amazon that we were able to interact with were still like, you know, yeah, we'll give your money back. Um, but they didn't put the crackdown on and blocking that Amazon vendor who was clearly selling pirated or, or counterfeit materials. And that's unacceptable. So if we just step back for a minute and we say, if you're a brand owner, you shouldn't have to face other people selling on your brand, your product listing, fake stuff. That's, that's the premise that we approach this. And so I think that's um, an important thing to, to note because many sellers have the feeling that Amazon's part of the problem. They have no real incentive in the minds of sellers. Again, Amazon has its own opinion, which I'll do my best to articulate here in a moment. But many sellers feel like Amazon makes commission either way. It doesn't matter if they sell uh, a legitimate product or counterfeit product. They make their commission either way. So what incentive do they really have to put the kibosh on it? That's why we have to jump through so many hoops and we have to do so many things and why programs like brand registry are not super effective in the minds of most sellers. Now, doing my best to you know, create a fair picture, Amazon says, hey, we're stopping you know, a million seller accounts and three billion counterfeit listings. We're doing everything we can and we continue to increase 
the effectiveness of brand registry and we have you know project zero and transparency and and all these other things that we've developed to try to make it better and better uh, for sellers and I can't dispute that they're trying to take some actions but I do dispute that they're they're certainly not acting with the same urgency that that it impacts sellers right the the fact that somebody from China could jump on my listing the product could be three or four weeks away they could sell during that time the the only way for me to get them off sometimes is to buy the product wait for it to show up and then show that it's a fake product via photos and comparisons to the original authentic product well during that entire time those sellers are taking advantage of that delay and they kind of know that that's part of their own arbitrage play they're like I'm gonna use this account I'm gonna make sales for a day a week a month whatever I can and then I'm gonna kill that account you know hopefully sweep the money out of there and move on with my life and all of this comes back to the very basic equation that it's so easy for foreign sellers to set up Amazon seller accounts much easier than uh, domestic sellers so if you sell in the UK you have much higher requirements uh, you sell in the US you have much higher requirements to open an account including banking and things like that than a foreign seller and that is in a nutshell the source of the problem and the only way to solve the problem and I talk about China and uh, sellers from you know Hong Kong and China particularly because they are the most aggressive and they're the best at it and they also represent according to marketplace pulse upwards of 40% of all sellers and they're doing a lot of business in often nefarious ways uh, I would I don't have any data to support this, but my sense of it, my instinct, is that you know, out of out of a hundred U.S.-based sellers or a hundred U.K.-based sellers, maybe there's ten percent that are bad actors. Uh, out of China, it's it's maybe sixty to seventy percent. Not because they're bad people as a percentage. I'm not comparing people to people. I'm saying they can spin up accounts in China so fast and so easy that just the magnitude of the seller accounts that originate in China gives them a you know kind of lopsided equation towards the the bad side of the equation so I, I hope that makes sense to you so here's my you know secondary issue so it's already unfair that they can compete and they can spin up accounts too easily secondarily they don't pay taxes income taxes specifically sales taxes have largely been removed from the equation with the passing of various marketplace laws around the United States and, and Europe with the VAT stuff. So that really puts it in the income tax bucket. And here you have all these foreign sellers who are importing products into the United States in this case. They make their sales and they have an edge of 40 to 50% on that net income making that money where we have to pay it to the government. And that is, again, an absolutely unfair advantage. And it's not reasonable for us to compete against that long term that's the, these are economic facts uh, this is not my opinion those are economic facts so recently the DHS Department of Homeland Security which includes many many departments including Customs and Border Patrol and things like that they issued a report in late January 2020 that talked about the problem with counterfeit items and specifically the responsibility of online platforms including uh, Amazon.com, eBay.com, Walmart.com, and the rest of them, Newegg and Rakuten and you know whoever you want to throw in there, 
that those online marketplaces have responsibilities and potentially liabilities. And that's a paradigm shift. Now, I've seen some clickbait stuff where people are talking about this report as it's the death blow to Amazon or, you know, other clickbaity kind of things. And I just, I would just tell you, ignore the, the nonsense and the clickbait and just focus on the facts. So you should read the memo yourself. Again, awesomers.com slash 168. We've got a link to the PDF uh, DHS memo that talks about the counterfeit items and its relevance to online marketplaces. But here's a few highlights. And I, I know I'm talking really fast today because if I, if I slow down, I go through every detail, we would literally be on here for hours. You'd be bored to tears. And I'm not sure that you would get the, the net effect of this memo. So I'm going to try to boil the fat off the bone, if you will. So first of all, uh, highlight number one, counterfeiting, this is according to the DHS report, counterfeiting is no longer confined to street corners and flea markets. The problem has intensified to staggering levels as shown by the recent Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD report, which details a 154% increase in counterfeits traded internationally from $200 billion in 2005 to $509 billion in uh, 2016. So over that you know, course of 10, 11 years, it's gone from 200 billion to $509 billion, a half a trillion dollars of counterfeit trade. And this is just talking about the United States uh, uh, and international transactions. So other um, factors, you know, the DHS Department of Homeland Security talks about seizures, uh, seizures of counterfeit infringing goods jumping from the year 2000 to about 3,200 seizures a year to 33,000 seizures in 2018. So a 10x increase in seizures. So that's point one, that the problem is staggering. And when there's that much money at stake, bad guys, criminals, ne'er-do-wells, scallywags, they're going to find a way to make money on that, right? There's just, there's so much slop in the gears when you talk about a half a trillion dollars that if they can carve out $4 million, $5 million, $20 million and, and kind of get away with it, why wouldn't they? That's, that's often the reaction in China. If you've ever read the book Poorly Made in China, the, the general mentality there is like, if you can do it and you can get away with it, you're stupid if you don't do it. And so that's, that's a very difficult thing to overcome uh, because it's a cultural uh, norm versus you know, a moral uh, equation that, that uh, other people might go through. And again, you know, do I think bad guys are bad guys? Yes, they shouldn't do things that are illegal. They shouldn't do things that are wrong. Uh, but it's not a criticism of a people. It's a criticism of those individuals who lack the character to do the right thing. Uh, okay, so point number two on, a, on my highlight reel here is this DHS report talks about the fact that they call it a major e-commerce platform, which means Amazon.com, reports that its proactive efforts have prevented over a million suspected bad actors from publishing a single product for sale through its platform and have blocked over 3 billion, billion with a B, suspected counterfeit listings from being published. Now, this is Amazon saying, look at, and I talked about this earlier in the, the podcast, look at, we're doing everything we can. But the fact is, it's definitely, definitely not enough. And it's falling woefully short of effectiveness because every successful, let's just say white hat seller on Amazon has experienced hijacking and often experiences it multiple times. 
and not just hijacking the listing, but the weaponization of Amazon policies, which we've talked about before. Fake IP infringement claims, fake takedown notices, fake safety and health uh, related claims and, and uh, things along that line. Seeding listings with words like pesticides for takedowns. All kinds of weaponization of Amazon policies are being put into place by very intelligent, if not uh, scurrilous actors, right? These, these are bad uh, competitors and they face no consequences for this. No consequences. That's, that's a big part of this equation. I'll probably talk about it a little bit later. So despite Amazon having some numbers to talk about, it's not enough and it's just not getting the job done. So point three, uh, while brick, U.S. brick and mortar economy has well-developed regimes for licensing, monitoring, and otherwise ensuring protections for intellectual property rights, the comparable regime is largely non-existent for international e-commerce sellers. And that's absolutely accurate and true. And I have to say, <laughs> in my dealings with the government, it's rare that they actually get stuff right. Um, and, and I'm sure there's, there's aspects of this that I could criticize, but the majority of it is insightful and correct uh, from the mind of this particular Amazon seller. You know, at least I think I'm right, whether I'm right or wrong, I believe I'm right. So let's move on to point four, uh, because the fact is international e-commerce sellers do not have any intellectual property rights concerns uh, today. Point four is foremost among the best practices is the idea that e-commerce platforms online third-party marketplaces, other third-party market uh, intermediaries, such as custom brokers, consignment carriers, et cetera, they must take a more active role in monitoring, detecting, and preventing trafficking in counterfeit and private goods. Now, this is essentially a warning for Amazon. It's a warning for 3PLs. It's a warning for shipping and freight forwarders. If you are doing naughty stuff, you're gonna have some liability. You're gonna have some culpability uh, in the future. You know, up until now, you've kind of gotten away from this idea that, you know, you're, you, Amazon, for example, claims, hey, we're just a marketplace. Uh, we do our best to prevent counterfeits. And if somebody does something bad, they're the vast ma minority of what's happening. And, and, you know, once we find out, we whack them anyway. So we're doing everything we can. You can't hold a marketplace responsible, which is, uh, I, I find to be, that argument is lacking. They're, they can do more. They can do more. Yeah, I'll leave it at there. Let's go on to point five. In the United States, e-commerce year-over-year sales grew 13.3% uh, in the second quarter of uh, 2019 versus 2018, while retail sales increased by only 3.2% at brick and mortar. Now, I know everybody freaks out about that, those percentages and that gap, but if you look at the total amount of retail sales, I, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but that 3.2% increase is probably at least half, if not all, of e-commerce sales, not just their percentage of increase. 3.2% of a multi-trillion dollar market is massive compared to e-commerce. So let's, I know that there's always talking about the retail apocalypse and this and that, and there are many examples of failed retailers, Toys R Us, Sears, um, you know, who knows who's next. There's, there's many people on the chopping block Largely, those are companies who are not adapting. The companies who are adapting tend to do pretty well. And there are many retailers who are doing a good job, and they're attracting 
consumers and they're making things happen. So the idea that brick and mortar is dead is a little premature to call that. It's just, I, I think consumers want to buy the way they want to buy. And so being omni-channel, the, the brick and mortar guys, the entrenched guys would do very well to have a complementary e-commerce strategy. This is one of the things I've talked about for more than a decade, 15 years, omni-channel for the, especially for those brick and mortar guys is the only way to go. And if you're just a straight e-commerce D2C guy, more power to you. No problem. That's great. You don't have to go into brick and mortar because the nimbleness that you can move as a D2C is really unrivaled. It's unparalleled. You can, you can zoom around like a little jet boat and brick and mortar kind of has to move like a big oil tanker, very slow and, and arduous. Uh, so moving on with point five, uh, Amazon reported third-party sales on its marketplace grew from 100 million in 1999 to 160 billion, again with a B, in 2018. So just think about that extraordinary rate of increase from $100 million in 1999 to $160 billion 19 years later. And in 2018 alone, Walmart experienced e-commerce sales increase of 40%. Uh, I should do a whole episode on how Walmart is missing the opportunity. I have to say, um, on a base of crap, 40% ain't that hard. They could do a lot better. They don't have the same problem that Amazon does in terms of the, the volume because they make a lot less sales and because they have a lot less sellers. Uh, but Walmart is really missing an opportunity. They have not captured this opportunity. And I'm not saying it's easy, but it's obvious of you know, the steps they should be taking. And I have to say, with all due respect to my friends at Walmart, they are not taking those steps in an aggressive, urgent manner. And that's why, despite growing 40% on their e-commerce channel, they're still losing market share to other people. Uh, point number six uh, on my top 10 list here is the OECD reports that international trade and counterfeit and pirated goods amounted to as much as $509 billion in 2016, which is 3.3% uh, as a proportion of world trade. So <laughs> if, it's, a, it's a staggering thing, right? To think that, you know, 3.3% of world trade is in counterfeit materials, which is not ideal. Um, and from 2003 to 2018, seizures of infringing goods increased from uh, 6,500 to 33,800, as I talked about earlier. And as measured by the manufacturer's suggested retail price, MSRP, of legitimate goods, it went from 94 million of legitimate MSRP to 1.4 billion, right? So that's the magnitude of this piracy and counterfeit issue. And of course, that's based largely on those big brands that I uh, talked about earlier, everything from Louis Vuitton to Cartier to Rolex to whatever. And... You know, the, the truth is, if somebody sold 100 fake Rolex watches, Rolex didn't lose 100 sales, right? No, none of those buyers were probably Rolex buyers. But the, the scale of the problem, the units and so forth, is still significant and deserves to have some uh, consideration. So I want to take a, a minute on point seven and talk about a, something called Operation Megaflex. So in 2019, in response to alarmingly high rates of contraband uncovered by DHS, a request from the uh, White House Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy, uh, the Customs and Border Patrol initiated Operation Flex. And what they did is they used enhanced inspection and monitoring 
to identify high-risk violators that are shipping and receiving illegal contraband and illicit products and, and so forth using international mail facilities and express consignment hubs. So this per periodic, uh, periodic blitz conducted examined thousands of parcels from China and Hong Kong. So this is not me calling out those two uh, areas. This is uh, the United States government and carefully cataloged the range of contraband seized. And I put a link to the, the full um, breakdown of all the inspections and, and what, they, what they collected and what they found during these Operation Blitz, three different Blitz. And it's really extraordinary what they found, right? And in two days in July 16 and 17 of last year, they did 9,700 inspections. They found 11, almost 12% discrepancies. And out of those, uh, 212 were counterfeits. So a 2.2% counterfeit rate. Now, that doesn't mean the discrepancies are not counterfeits or are otherwise legal. It means that people are making false claims when they're importing stuff. Maybe it's the value of the shipment. Maybe it's the HS code. There's lots of ways the game is played. And they found you know, 11%, almost 12% discrepancy rate on the first round. The high point on Blitz 2 was 8% counterfeits and 18% nearly uh, discrepancies from the shipments they scanned. In that case, 5,700 shipments, 1,000 had discrepancies. So what this means is just the sheer volume of stuff being sent in from China. They, it's happening all the time. China and Hong Kong are perpetrating frauds on a regular basis. The low was 2.2% counterfeit. Uh, the next round was 8.1. It dropped to 7.1 and then 5.1. But the whole point is of these thousands and thousands of shipments, 20,861 shipments, the overall counterfeit rate was 5.1%. And the discrepancy, what was claimed versus what was received was 14%. And I'll be honest, I think that's low. I mean, this is good data, so I can't really um, you know, dispute it. But I think that's I think there's more happening even than they, they found. So when we think about these types of things, what does it mean for us? It means, first of all, we have to do the right thing because if you have a legal entity in the United States or a Western country, there's legal ramifications if you try to cheat the system. There are no such ramifications when some, a seller is kind of out of reach of the law. And that's part of the issue and that's, that needs to change. So point eight moves into uh, the role of online third-party marketplaces. And so the, the DHS report points out that third-party online marketplaces can easily and quickly establish attractive storefronts to compete with legitimate businesses. Some platforms, little identifying information is necessary to start being a seller. A counterfeiter seeking to distribute fake products will typically set up one or more accounts on the online third-party marketplaces. The ability to grow rapidly proliferate third-party online marketplaces greatly complicates the enforcement efforts, right? So especially for intellectual property rights, the point being, and I'll just dive out of the DHS report and uh, talk about this, both Amazon and law enforcement, it's hard to keep up because of the pace of accounts being created. Uh, by the way, logic, a little bell should be going off here. Hey, what if it was harder to set up an account? And that is talked about in the DHS report, that it should be 
something much harder to set up and there should be identity and banking relationships required to confirm who these accounts are actually being set up by and ultimately there should be some sort of uh, culpability and compliance if the people are unable or unwilling to deal with the rule of law and I'm talking about everything from fake HS codes fake value of the shipments all the way to fake products being sold unsafe stuff by the way and I've covered that in the past uh, in great length uh, all the many examples of you know bad stuff uh, for health and safety that are being imported uh, you need look no further than the you know the old hoverboards that were exploding in people's houses nobody cared on the manufacturing side because they got away with it until they couldn't get away with it anymore then things have to be safer so Moving on to point nine, what steps will Customs and Border Patrol take? And this is where I think it really starts to get interesting because it says essentially that they're going to start, um, they're going to start assessing civil fines, penalties, and injunctive actions for people who are benefiting from this situation, which includes third-party marketplaces. So platforms that operate third-party marketplaces and other third-party intermediaries, uh, intermediaries will assume a greater responsibility and therefore greater liability for their roles in trafficking of counterfeit pirated goods. Now this is that shot across the bow that maybe will take Amazon uh, by surprise, maybe it'll get them to act. But essentially the US government's going, we see you, we know what you're doing, and the fact that you're benefiting from this, get ready, we're gonna buckle up and we're gonna find ways to scrutinize this. And when we have the evidence that demonstrates that they've unlawfully assisted in the importation of counterfeit and pirated goods, we're gonna start doing the following. So it says, first of all, they're going to find out uh, if any third party intermediaries have demonstrated uh, direct financial aid or other abetting, which is uh, aiding and abetting, if you will, in a, in a criminal context, the importation of counterfeit goods, which uh, that is huge, right? That is, you know, drop the mic, the, the, the mushroom cloud uh, is, is happening because that is a huge thing. It says the Department of Justice, including uh, Customs and Border and, and ICE, will seek all available statutory authorities to pursue civil fines and other penalties against these entities, uh, including a, some particular law. That is, again, that's a devastating blow. Um, not a death blow, it's just a, a warning. We're gonna come and get you if you're helping. And I, I definitely, this is the next thing that they talk about. DHS recommends the administration pursue a statutory change to explicitly permit the government to seek injunctive, injunctive relief against third-party marketplaces and other intermediaries dealing in counterfeit merchandise. So the statutory change means they gotta change the law. And by the way, I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I play one on YouTube, I guess, not really. Uh, but so I'm interpreting this my own way. If some other lawyer is smarter and, or some actual lawyer is smarter and tells me that I'm wrong about all this, I'll just say, you know, I don't believe you. I'm smart and I get it and I know what's happening. Uh, even if I'm wrong, that's how I, I feel. So uh, what, what I interpret this to mean is they're going to pursue changes in the law that allow them to issue an injunction against Amazon. 
Now, can you imagine if Amazon got an injunction that says, you know, stop all third-party sales, period, stop. I mean, that would be devastating, right? In 2018, $160 billion third-party sales on Amazon. That could be injunctive, uh, injunctively? I don't think that's a verb. It, as a result of an injunction, that could be stopped partially or completely, uh, depending on the severity of the situation. That is a new thing. And again, that is a, that's a real shot across the bow again. Uh, it says ICE shall, uh, oh, I'll back up. It says DHS in the interim will provide information and support to registered brand owners looking to utilize statutory authorities to seek injunctive relief. In other words, they're saying, hey, uh, until we have that law change, we're going to do what we can to help registered brand owners utilize uh, injunctive relief. Which, again, that's, that's a big, even if it's uh, false hope, even if it's just words, it's a nice thing to hear that they're going to care. Uh, they go on to say, ICE, which is the immigration side of the uh, DHS, shall prioritize investigations into intellectual property-based crimes, this is important, regardless of size, and will make referrals for all such investigations where appropriate. That's unprecedented. Right, so if Amazon is not responding to a hijacker, now you can go with legitimate claims only and have ICE help you investigate this. And I will presume without any facts, <laughs> this is an assumption, that ICE is gonna say companies who are US companies and have US brands and trademarks will, and, and have a foreign competitor, my guess is that they are going to be prioritized because that's where the most egregious stuff is happening. And it goes on to say that ICE will coordinate with the Department of Justice, develop a strategy to investigate and prosecute intellectual property violations. Now, this is, I think, a fine thing, but it, it does start falling apart because if the only people culpable are the, the fake third-party sellers um, that are ultimately based in China and outside the reach of our Department of Justice, it's, it's not going to amount to very much. But... I think the fact that the veiled threat is if we can't get them, we're going to get the online platform. Uh, that's, that's a big deal. For those of you who follow this sort of thing, the DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, basically put platforms on notice that they have culpability if they become aware of a copyright uh, infringement or an intellectual property infringement and they don't do anything about it, which is a good step. And although this is not exactly the same, this is the beginnings of a step towards that to say, listen, Amazon, we've been complaining about this for years and mostly in the minds of sellers, again, I'm speaking on behalf of sellers, uh, myself included, we think we're often ignored and we think it's way too hard and it takes too long and it costs us money and it doesn't really cost you money, Amazon, right? It costs us money because we lose the sales. You get paid either way, no matter who's selling stuff. So the, it doesn't feel like it's a fair incentive. The point is, I know I'm railing on this pretty hard, if there is culpability for the platform and potentially whether it's injunctive relief or other relief, including penalties, maybe Amazon will act faster. Maybe there will be a better system for vetting sellers who come onto the platform, for making sure that they comply with uh, US banking and tax laws and, and other things. That's a step in the right direction. And by the way, when I sell in the UK or I sell in Germany, I should be equally 
compliant with all those local laws and regulations. There should be no benefit that I get for cheating my way to some advantage in these other marketplaces. I recognize that when there are tax laws that are beneficial, people can use them and maximize them. I got no issue with that. But at some point, we've got to have a level and fair playing field. It's, you know, the, the guys who are in California, I feel the worst for, because they have upwards of 13% uh, state taxes, state income taxes, and then you throw another 38 to 42 percent, you know, taxes on their LLC, a normal income, ordinary income pass through. Uh, that that may be over 50 percent they're paying in taxes on that net income that they worked their butt off to do, and they had to be compliant legally, and they they face legal scrutiny if they they lie, cheat, or steal. And the guys on the other side can sell whatever they can, you know, lower the product quality, they can change the materials to be unsafe, and they don't have to pay the taxes. That is patently unfair. All right. Well, you can tell I'm whipped up into a lather today. Point number 10 on my highlight reel here is, and I think this is another very, very important one. The Customs and Border Patrol will treat domestic warehouses and fulfillment centers as the ultimate consignee for any good that has not been sold to a specific customer at the time of its importation. So um, just to back out of the DHS report for a minute, if you're sending stuff from China to a Amazon third-party fulfillment center, now they are being named as the ultimate consignee because that's not pre-sold. That's just inventory that's on consignment um, at Amazon. And as discussed in this report, counterfeit products, so I'm back in the DHS report here, um, counterfeit products evade detection and sit in fulfillment centers waiting to be purchased by the consumer. By treating domestic warehouses and fulfillment centers as consignees in such circumstances, the Customs and Border Patrol can enhance their ability to identify what they call Section 321 abuses consistent with current authorities and also use other statutory and regulatory authorities to combat tra trafficking of counterfeit goods. The point is, by them making this um, modification, they can hold fulfillment centers and domestic warehouses accountable for these uh, piracy and counterfeit abuses. That's another, you know, absolutely uh, legendary step that I think is positive for real sellers. Now, I know I'm in the weeds here, I'm in the minutiae, but this stuff is important. If you really want to have a level playing field, you've got to get involved with the FTC investigation, which is ongoing, but probably going to wrap up at some point in the near future. Reach out to the FTC and talk about any situations that you feel are unfair where Amazon may be favoring foreign sellers or hijackers or black hat tactics, or where you feel like you've been unfairly beaten down, where they've weaponized Amazon policies against you, whether it's IP infringement, you know, false claims, or somebody's met, monkeyed with your listing and put in you know, pesticide type stuff. Uh, it's important to get your side of the story out there. It's not because I think Amazon is inherently evil like uh, a bunch of these crazy people I see on the internet. It's just because I think Amazon needs an incentive to move with urgency because our livelihoods are at stake, right? That's the point that I think is missed. If we can't sell or we lose the, uh, the buy box to a hijacker, or we're suspended because some nefarious seller has weaponized an Amazon policy against us, our livelihoods are at stake, right? I got to put food on the table for my kids, so do you. And these other kind of 
I don't know, illicit black hat players that are just kind of gaming the system, they don't have those same risks that we have. And I, I don't think it's fair. That's the point. So I do want to remind you, this is awesomers.com slash 168. Go to awesomers.com slash 168 for a plethora of information, and including the link to the DHS report. This is not a death blow to Amazon, but it is a serious, serious shot across the bow. And I hope that Amazon takes it seriously. I hope that they will act with urgency and remember that livelihoods, people's jobs, um, the, their role as an entrepreneur, their success, it's all hinged on you know, being fair and have a level playing field. And the more that Amazon continues to recruit you know, China-based sellers, the more the United States government allows anybody to be an importer of record and to sneak products in under $800 uh, per day. They can sneak in for one individual. They can sneak in $800 a day without any scrutiny by Customs and Border Patrol. Those types of things are unfair. And I think there ought to be some steps taken by both sides to make it better, right? And that's, at the end of the day, consumers are happy if they get something that's what they expected, that's safe, that's fair, that's authentic, and that will engender ongoing trust. Right now, the black hat guys are taking advantage of the, the trust that Amazon's built up and using it for their own uh, nefarious uh, means or, or uh, gains. So anyway, that's it for me today, everybody. I hope this is instructive. I hope you understand the point. Uh, I may sound like a crazy uh, old guy ranting, uh, but well, maybe I am. But these are important issues, and I think Amazon sellers should pay attention. So if you haven't already, subscribe, share, go to the podcast, give me a review, whatever you got to do. Uh, these are important times, and let's make sure that we share the word about this. Uh, until next time, everybody, we'll see you later.